Thank you, worship team, for guiding us in uh, songs, and Huey for giving us announcements, and Gary for praying for us, for our service today. Interesting, we're going to talk about master-slave relationships today, and you know, we sang the song most people, most Christians know, I hope that all Christians know, um, and most, many unbelievers know, Amazing Grace. It's a beautiful song, it's written by John Newton, and John Newton was a slave trader, and slave trader who, when he came to faith, when he found out about Christ in his heart, he wrote those words, uh, what a wretch I am, a sinner that was saved. So that's a kind of good perspective as we go into the word today. Now, I used to have a co-worker. His name was Eric. I won't mention his last name, so he won't be specific. His name was Eric. And his nickname in the company was the Bus Stop. It was an interesting name. He was a Jehovah's Witness. And he asked me one day to say he would want to come to work at 10.30. And I asked him why. He said, in the mornings, during the work hours, he goes to various bus stops and evangelizes. He was very outspoken about his faith. And everybody in the company knew about his faith to be someone who is of upstanding character. And that was my view of him as well. I respected him for that. I respected him for standing for his beliefs and following through. That I was challenged by his, um, his fervency for his faith. But after a while, unfortunately for Eric, he got himself into a relationship with the receptionist. And he went on and went on. And I'm sure he was disappointed later. He ended up leaving the company. And everybody in the company knew about their relationship, their immoral relationship. The rumors began to spread and obviously it was a very difficult place for Eric to work. His reputation, everything has been tarnished and no longer did he have the respect of everyone. Now, the story that I share with you is not to criticize him or his faith, but a story I share with you because this could happen to any one of us in the workplace. Sometimes it is a downfall of Christians for us to dichotomize church or Christian lives and work life. That is a complete, there's a partition between our, the two lives. But truly as Christians, as Paul um, teaches us here and will share today, is that it is not. That we have to be careful that our testimony, the very treasure that has been entrusted to us, is not tarnished in the workplace. Yet, even more magnified in the workplace. You know, statistics say that average of average working American, full-time working American, spends about 70% of their waking hours at the workplace. That's a large amount of time. 70% of working hours. Some people, even more. But on average. You know, people work for various different reasons. Some people have the survival mentality. They just have to make ends meet and make do and to put food on the table for themselves or their family. And there's also the show-me-the-money mentality. Some of us think of work in relationship only to a lot of earnings, to money, right? Where he can or she can purchase the pleasures, enjoyments, vacations, homes, cars, whatever, of material things. And some people look at work as the climb the ladder mentality. To get in the highest rung on the corporate ladder as possible. 
to be respected, to be recognized. Maybe the money is a little less so, but they want to be recognized by other people. But these are reasons why people work. But I think more important for Christians, it is how is perhaps the more important question. How we work. You know, we, work, we live and work in a culture that the work ethic is very skewed. You know, the current day and modern day, the climate has given people the idea they would rather play than work. And the work, value of work has depreciated. Some of us think work as sort of a drudgery. You know, I used to go to work when I first started working. I go in about 8 o'clock. By 9 o'clock, I'm thinking of lunch. What's that for lunch? Think about all of these things. This is before, really, Internet time, so you, know, you can go on the Internet and look for food. You think about it. So it's worse. Then you have lunch. About 2 o'clock, 2.30 comes along, and you think about dinner. It goes on and on. And you're like, well, can't wait till 5 o'clock comes around or thereabouts when you leave work. No wonder people gain weight, right? You know, this, the world is inundated. More Christians are influenced by the world's view of work rather than biblical view. So what is the biblical view? That's what we want to talk about today. You know, the modern materialistic culture promotes doing the least amount of work and getting the most amount of money. That's what it's all about, right? And if all of us, we could work two hours a day and earn the same income, we're all there, right? But we can't, our motivations can't conform to the world. You know, by the virtue of the amount of time we spend, our work life is a significant part of our lives. Therefore, it's so important how we conduct ourselves in the workplace. It has a great deal to do with our sanctification process. 70% of your waking hours. When we sleep, we're not really working on our sanctification process, right? But when we work, we are. And when we are awake, we are. And 70% of the time is occupied by that. So this is vital to us. This is a trivial factor. Paul's telling, giving instructions on slaves to Titus that is absolutely critical. So just as a textual background, this section, Pastor James went through a series of responsibilities within the Christian community and the church. Paul wrote to Titus uh, on, in the beginning about the leaders in the church, qualifications of an elder, and also then he goes on to teach about older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Then he switches gears into slaves. Now, Paul, you might say, why does Paul certainly switch gears like this? But we have to remember, after the gender and age-based instruction to, um, to the believers, it goes to the slaves. Because during Paul's day, slaves were everyday life of a normal household was very important part of the culture, so it's naturally mentioned in his historical context. Based in the Roman Empire, approximately half, 50% of Roman empires were slaves. William Barclay writes that there's approximately 60 million, at that time, 60 million slaves in Paul's day. The slaves could be even doctors, teachers, various, for all forms of life, people were slaves. You know, men became slaves through different means. Most of them, I mean all of them, involuntarily. They became slaves through by birth or by, you know, Roman um, 
empire was a conquering nation, so they would, by war, they became slaves, and also they had debt. People became slaves because they couldn't pay their debt. On very um, different ways, involuntarily. The basic life of a slave was very grim and horrible. They were not considered as a person, but as property, a thing. You know, slaves in the New Testament days were beaten, tortured, cruelly, at the whim of their master. They said some people had branded things on their faces. Their bodies were distorted, disfigured, because just by virtue of being a slave. Now the Roman writer records, whatever master does it to a slave, undeservedly, in anger, willingly, unwillingly, in forgetfulness, after careful thought, knowingly, unknowingly, is judgment and justice and law. So masters of slaves had, at their whim, could do whatever they wanted to the slaves. Now, Paul is not advocating that... He doesn't advocate here the immediate, outright emancipation of slaves. But he does not condone slavery either. Now, he's taking his social structure at the time that he's writing this and endeavors to change it in a different means. There are two parties, master and slave, which will focus on slaves today. But he focuses on how to change the system within, internally, within a person. Now, thank God we no longer have the slave system. Therefore, in our culture, our context, this relates the master-slave relationship to us. It relates to us in the form of employer-employee relationship. Now, Paul instructs Titus here to preach that the employees are to be obedient to employers. That is the testimony of a Christian employee, and it's very, very powerful. So, overarching thesis today is that our obedience is not for our employers, but ultimately for our Lord, with all sincerity, undivided mind, that we render to the true master, master with a capital M, instead of a master on this earth. So in light of this context, our circumstances or difficulties at workplaces seem minuscule, right? Compared to the slaves of Paul's day. You know, but... Nonetheless, the conflict still exists, just in a different way in this relationship. You know, the basic problem in the workplace is not political, not social, not economical, or personal preferences, but it is spiritual. And as Christians, we are all called to submit to under authority. For a Christian worker, we need to submit inwardly first, and having outwardly obedience second. See, if God is not in the primacy of your life, in that position where where our motivation is motivated by other factors, as I mentioned before, then it is difficult to have inward, right inward attitude about work. The answer for Christians is to have the right attitude in the heart matter as we work for our employers, our supervisors, our managers. In this text, Rather than attacking slavery itself, Paul gave biblical principles and enabled slaves to live under the masters, but live under God's sovereign care so that they could be a testimony in the power of the gospel. There are 
I want to go over three distinct makeup of a faithful Christian worker today. You know, even even we see the early church. Remember Christ's track record? He didn't have his people. He didn't envision his church to be run by religious elite. Of the apostles, only one had a real religious background was Paul, right? Look at Peter, John, and James. They were in the, they were today, they were in the food industry. You know? Fishing industry. Working in canneries, maybe starkist. You know? Matthew would have been a, probably been an IRS auditor, been a tax collector, or maybe he will work for a loan funding institution, lending institution, did mortgages. Paul was later on, after, later on in his life, he was into recreation manufacturing, he was a tent maker. And Luke could have worked for Kaiser, he was a doctor. And Cornelius, which the name I really love, Cornelius was a military officer. Okay, so he would have been a major or general in in the, in the services. So believers, again, it's the question is not why we work, but how we work. What mindset, with what attitude that we should have in serving. So three makeups that I would have in building a Christian worker is these. We'll go over these today. Number one, a faithful Christian worker must be submissive. Number two, Christian, a faithful Christian worker is excellent. And lastly, a faithful Christian worker is a testimony. Verse 9, first part of verse 9 says, Urge slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. Now Paul begins by requiring all, masters, I mean, all slaves to submit to their masters. It's the mindset he's getting at again. The sincerity of heart. Paul's not demanding external obedience. Okay? Paul is demanding inward obedience. Not with the grumbling heart. He, Paul uses in here, in Titus, he uses the word urge, which is a military term. It's a military term. The urge means to follow orders. You know, one of my favorite movies is, do you guys remember Colonel Nathan Jessup? You guys remember this movie? And Lieutenant Daniel Caffey? You guys remember this movie? Who knows it? It's A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. This is my favorite dialogue in, in all movie history. Favorite dialogue. It goes like this. <laughs> Colonel Nathan Jessup. He's on the witness stand. He goes, you want answers? And Lieutenant Daniel Caffey says, I, I think I'm entitled and he says again, you want answers? Then he says this famous line, I want the truth. And Jessup says, you can't handle the truth. Then he goes on to this thing. Jessup, son, we live in a world that has walls and those walls need to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. If people don't follow orders, people die. Then he goes on to you weep for Santiago, blah, 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 and at the end, <laughs> he blows more than what he needs to do. They say, although Colonel Jessup was a immoral man, he did the wrong thing. In military, you have to follow orders. You know, the average age of a serviceman on a nuclear aircraft carrier is age of 19. Do you think 19-year-olds, you get a bunch of 19-year-olds together and put them on an aircraft carrier, you think things don't work right? 
Can you imagine the immense the responsibility people have? They do it because they follow orders. Okay, they follow orders. And that's what Paul is saying here to do, to follow orders. Okay. In this relationship, it's not conditional. It's not optional for a Christian worker to follow orders or to grumble about it. You know, how many times we stand around the water cooler and we complain? And just like unbelievers. Again, we, people became slaves due to war, debts, and other reasons during that time. And some slaves were better, better educated than their masters. But yet, Paul drives at the heart, you need to submit. Submit voluntarily. To what extent? In 1 Timothy 6, 1, talks about those who are under the yoke of Yoke as a slave must regard their own masters deserving of full respect. This will prevent the name of God and Christian teaching to be discredited. For those who have been believing masters must not show them less respect because they are brothers. We're talking about Christian masters. There's an unlimited extension of submission here, Paul, at this place. It's a it's master, uh, slaves are to be under total direction of the masters. But ultimately, we, we can deduct that Christians, as workers, we don't work for our masters, again, with lowercase m, but with capital M, Christ. We are obedient to him because behind the master, there is the master. Okay? Although no one likes our supervisors, our managers hovering over our work, no one wants to be micromanaged. But we are to submit without complaining. So principle of authority and submission is God-given. It is to be always, always be honored. And faithful believer willingly and graciously submits to their employers as they submit to Christ. Second, a faithful Christian worker is excellent. Verses 9 and 10. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. It says, to be well-pleasing, focusing on the first goal, the character of their submission. It carries the idea of giving satisfaction to someone. Fulfilling their duties and responsibilities as opposed to doing work half-heartedly, answering back, or stealing in this text from the Master. The faithful believer does not simply do the minimum work that's required but does what is, is required and does it excellently. A faithful Christian worker does not need to be checked upon to see if they're doing the work. Doing to the best of his or her ability is a given, whether someone is watching or not. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, Not in the way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God. You know, this means that we don't work just to gain approval from our employers. Because if the idea is to serve unto God, that wouldn't be necessary. It's not concerned about selfish promotions, but desiring to be promoted so that you would get that good review, so that you would get that raise. No, but in the, the ultimate mo- motive is to, not to benefit themselves, but to be enthusiastic about it towards Christ. 
You know, we should work just as hard. And it's, I know it's disappointing. Sometimes we're passed up for promotion or a raise. We've done everything we could, but we're passed up. But we're still called to submit because we don't look out for our own welfare. Only one that we seek approval is from Christ. And that's the attitude of not self-promoting. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do you work heartily. Ask for the Lord rather than men. Even when employer may or may not appreciate the good work you have done, And even someone takes someone else takes the credit for the work you have done. But we're not to be concerned because God knows. And the reward is up to God. The true reward is up to God. And First Thessalonians four ten says Paul tells the Thessalonians, excel still more to make your ambition, lead a quiet life, and attend to your own business, and work with your hands. Just as we commanded you. The idea here is to do work, what is assigned to you, without complaining, bragging, or criticizing the failure of others, or being destructive, but serving as to our God. God has sovereignly placed. We have to, believe, we have to view our jobs as God sovereignly placing you wherever you are at this moment. That's where God wants you. If you're having difficulties, those are all brought on, out, not outside of God, within God's sovereignty. You know, God has, since God has sovereignly placed you in that organization, we need to take that seriously. Whatever position you hold today, you need to, we need to all take that seriously. And we need not to be flipping on our jobs. It's easy for even Christians, when we run into problems with one job, maybe our performance... And maybe, maybe just other co-workers or supervisors. It's easy to... What is the first reaction of people? It's to run. We, need, we can't be flipping about our jobs. That's one of the marks of a younger man than an older man. As your, your career goes on, a younger man within his first 10 years will move, they say, average of three to four jobs. As they get older, you're pretty consistent. That's a mark of... It's just, um, it's just a It's just fact. There's less stability with younger people than older people because older people know it's not people, it's not the job itself you gain satisfaction from because you can't get satisfaction from a job. It's where your heart is. It's a condition of the heart. And it's also a difference between a married man and an unmarried man. Unmarried man, he's only responsible for himself. If he moved a job, got a job for a couple months, may not be that big of a deal. But for a married man, you're at a job, especially if you have children, you can't put food on the table. So it's difficult to just pack up and leave. You know, an excellent Christian worker does not leave his job or her job because there are problems. In order to bury them or forget about their problems or to run from it, to go to the next job, running from problems is not the answer. So we end up getting fired we must learn from our mistakes. But if you have to leave, you know, I said this before, leave on the best terms as possible without burning any bridges. This is just my practical application here. You know, most people, 
employers, if you go into a certain level, they do a thorough background check, right? Those of you in management know, they'll call your former employee to ask for references. And one question I always ask is, and I'm done, only one question, will you hire this person back? I look for their answer. And that's the only one answer I need to get. They say yes. It was worth it to them to have them as employees. They had value. So that's our testimony. We don't want, when they, our former employers call, our prospective employers call our former employers and say that. They want them to say yes. In this text also, Paul indicates two negatives and one positive points. Two negatives, or one is not being argumentative and not pilfering. In verse 9, it says, don't speak back, don't talk back. This is the exact opposite of being submissive, being argumentative. What is being argumentative? It is, in a way, selfish and self-centered. This does not mean that, that we should not stand up for what is proper and what is right. It means not to stand up your personal interest, self-interest alone. You know, in this today's workplace, there are many avenues, or just probably too many avenues, for us to file our grievances and our complaints. But once you have made that clear, whatever decision the management comes up with, we need to obey. Even if it's unbiblical, we need to obey. Long does not violate our, our conscience or biblical commands. Regardless of how disappointing, how unfair it may be, unless it's immoral or unbiblical, we need to accept that decision. So this is a part of that resting on faith principle. That we trust the Lord. Our trust is in God. That He has sovereign hand upon our situation, our work. That we should, our promotions, even if we're passed up, our salaries, that is up to God. It is, we trust Him for that. Secondly, not pilfering. And this is obvious, right? Don't steal. You know, it just means to put aside for oneself, misappropriate. U.S. Chamber of Commerce says that 20%, 20% of all businesses close because of employee theft. Employee theft. You know, National Retail Security did a survey last year, 2002, very latest survey. He say shoplifting in retail, this is just retail, shoplifting costs, Businesses, $9.7 billion in this country, shoplifting. But employee theft was number one. $15.1 billion. And last two years, it has climbed on record levels. Rather than shoplifting, employee theft is about 40% more. This is only in the retail industry. You're not talking about service industry or manufacturing industry or anything else. This is just in the retail industry. And Paul was right. Paul said this because in the Roman household, theft was common. Because slaves had access to many valuable things. And many slaves, like some of, some of us maybe, feel that we're underpaid, underappreciated. So they see something and they take matters to their own hands and take it on their own. Because I deserve this. I did the work. We can't do that, right? As Christians, that's stealing. Taking things without approval is stealing. When it comes to money, then it's embezzling. 
then we have to be careful when we work. You know, it was maybe food, jewelry, and other personal possessions in, for slaves in, under the Roman Empire. But today's world, you know, some of us accountants, we have access to what? Money, even? Company assets? Yeah. Even small things, as pens and pencils, we need to be careful. And most importantly, I think we need to be careful of time. Time. Unauthorized time spent. Whereas one place, a lot of employees, they say up to 30% of productivity goes out the door because of this factor. The internet. People spend time on the internet. I think there probably is more. Or unauthorized phone calls, personal phone calls. Abuse of any company privileges during the time that you're there. That we need to be careful of that. That we are not, our integrity is not in question. Our activity is at the workplace. It must be spotless. A Christian employee must reflect complete honesty and trustworthiness. It doesn't, again, it doesn't matter if we have been treated unfairly, been passed up, but we work because we work for his kingdom. Now look, examine Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. What happened to them? When they were pilfering, they were gone instantly. Right? That's, you know, that's one special time. But that's how serious God is about this type of act. Because we don't want, you know the phrase, good help is hard to find. We don't want any Christian employees to be said that about them. We want that to be untrue. The testimony must outweigh any pitfalls. Lastly, the positive aspect says to be loyal. To be loyal. It says showing all good faith describes loyalty. And doing faithfully what is to do. This means trustworthiness, reliability, in this day of age, I say quality of work, dependable, dependable. You know, I have two staff members I hired last year, and I went through a bunch of them, and man, it was like turnover was going on. I found two, I think, real good people. Two people, to, we're in September, two people have not called in sick once yet. You know, dependability at the workplace, you know, they say 90% of life is just about showing up. I know I could depend on to be there. Maybe quality work, maybe a different thing, but I could depend on them to be there. Right? That means a lot. That makes up for a lot of things. Consistency and being loyal. Lastly, a faithful Christian worker is a testimony. It says in verse 10 that they may adorn the doctrine of our Savior in every respect. This final statement of purpose is an underlying purpose. The, the reason for why we serve. That is to grip the hearts of slaves at the time and of Christian workers today. That we adorn the doctrine of our Savior. The focus is on the teachings of God. What is that? The gospel message. You know, some may say, why didn't Jesus, why didn't Paul fight slavery with his inequality? Because the New Testament teaching calls us to a greater task. It calls men to the greater slavery, to be delivered from the slavery of sin, 
He focused on salvation of men. And later on, after this text, verse 11 makes that clear. So our primary task as Christians is not to change the world system. To make it more moral, to correct social wrongs, but our, rather our primary task is to, is to evangelize the people, to make Christ known that only hope in life is Christ. At the end, that we come to Him, and we face Him, every man, believers or unbelievers alike, will face Him. Christ is the one who said, I am the truth and the life. I am the truth. We have to live according to that truth and uphold the truth. And that's what Christ, that's what Paul was getting at. He wasn't concerned with people being moral or changing social wrongs, but only the gospel. Therefore, what is critical for us is our work ethic reflect Christ. And that is the purpose of our testimony. What is Paul said to Titus? Reason why we do this? Older men, older women, younger men, younger women, to silence the critics. We studied that in earlier portions of Titus 2. To silence the critics. That we silence our critics with our work ethic. That we are to be what? Light and salt and light of the world in our workplace. You know, Doing this is a monumental task. I understand. I'm in the battle with you tomorrow morning, right? Everyone. It's very difficult. But that's the task we have been given us. In one area, this is an overarching area that, that's very, very subtle and that enters, us, enters into our work life. And I've experienced it and I've succumbed to it before. Is not visible like stealing or complaining out early. But it's an area that is socially so accepted in the world, business world, is the area of lying. Lying in business, misleading, is acceptable to most people as long as they could get away with it. You know, this is why auditors exist, right? Auditors exist because people don't report honestly. You know, you know that every company that's on the NASDAQ, on the New York Stock Exchange, or any other stock exchange, must be audited. They need to have an independent auditor come in and audit their books. Because it can't be trusted if it's self-reporting. The whole industry, basically, in a nutshell, exists. Now, this is why CPAs exist, to keep people from lying. Right? Keep people from lying. To make sure that reporting, the investors are not misled. And that exists so rampantly. It's so rampantly. It easily creeps into our lives. Maybe to protect ourselves. To make ourselves look better. In small ways too. In smallest ways. And we need to be very careful. This is one practical thing I mentioned because it is very, it's a subtle snare that is very, very dangerous. So I just mentioned this to you. You know, I had one really person, employee who was uh, of integrity. I respect it is that we had someone stealing from the company and he was a supervisor. It wasn't his fault. Someone stole. I mean, if someone wants to steal, they, they'll find a way to steal. But, but it was, they stole 
And he was the manager. He came to me and said, you know, I, I think I deserve rep- to be reprimanded. He said, you know, I think you should suspend me without pay for a week. I said, why? He said, it happened under my watch. And he took responsibility for it. That told me a lot about this person. That's integrity. Most people wouldn't react that way. Right? But that's... A, a Christian would I react that way. Should react that way. He takes the responsibility. That means he cares for his work. There's loyalty there. I respected him for that. May all of us be like that. And as believers, we must be fully upright in all areas of our work. We need to be... Why? Because we need to be good testimonies. You know, places where we work, as believers, it's a mission field. It's a mission field, right? I know we're a mission field in Ireland and Czech, but it's a mission field. That's our approach. So that we build a platform with our reputation, not for personal gain, for the reputation of Christ, reputation of the gospel to go forward, so that by our actions, speak louder than words, so the gospel has been laid, the soil is fertile for the gospel to take seed and for the men to be saved. It's a powerful witness for the tool for God. It is one, to protect the jewel of the gospel. And second, so that we make the soil fertile, soil fertile for the gospel to go forward. As ambassadors of Christ, to been given the baton to proclaim His message message of a Savior who saves that our lives, our work ethic matches the saving power of the same message. That we must be on guard perpetually even when we're treated unfair that we do this. Now, how do we do this? We look to Christ. Christ is our model. In Luke 6, 29, he says, Turn the other cheek. And Luke 6.27 says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Christ expects us to treat our persecutors as our friends. Then Luke 6 again says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners who love them, and if you do good things to, to who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. And Christ was a great example of that. He didn't persecute. He blessed those who persecuted Him. He sought for their forgiveness, right? Even on the cross. We must keep the example of our Lord when we work. Keep that in mind. Regardless how difficult things may get. Why? Because Paul said, Peter, our Apostle Peter says it beautifully in 1 Peter 2. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow. Follow in His footsteps who committed no sin nor having deceit found in His mouth. But while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. Our judgment, our final review, and not our quarterly annual review, our final review will come in the day of our Lord. That's, what, that's the ultimate review that we need to work for. Right? Everything else is a short term and just on this earth. And last few thoughts I'll give you today is that, you know, how do I know 
it's easy for me to share a lot of these things because I've been there. You know, I think I'm older than most of you, exception of a few of you. You know, I've made these mistakes. I've dishonored God in my workplace in my younger days. But just to encourage you, it gets better. Each and every time obedience comes, an area of obedience comes, and you stand up, it gets better. And you get stronger. God is faithful. By grace of God, you get better. Just like anything else in our lives. As we're sanctified, one step at a time, I encourage you, it'll get better. Because God has sovereign hand upon your lives. I know what I've shared with you today is difficult for all of us. I said monumental. Maybe even worse than that. It's, maybe it's impossible, right? But holiness is impossible for us as sinners. sinners. But we strive for that. We strive in, to, do the, to be holy in our workplace. To practicing practical holiness. So living a Christian life in the workplace should be a simple microcosm or what we do on Sundays as Christians in your various ministries in Cornerstone. You know, as a pastor is called to do his work in the ministry, as Pastor James ministers at Cornerstone, as his calling, for some of you, some of the doctors here, at Kaiser, at Verizon, IBM, Pat Bell, Pacific Life, Kodra, Wed Seal, who did I miss? Cummins and White. AmeriQuest. Garden Grove Unified School District. Cal Baptist. That is your calling. Just as it is a calling for Pastor James to work at. That is your calling by God to work in those places, to honor God. There's no sacred and secular work. Everything is sacred to Christians. Everything is sacred to God. God could be honored in those workplaces, as James comes up here, or I come up here and preach to you, we should all say, as we serve in ministries, when you come to serve in your ministries here, various ministries that exist in this church, you don't come and serve me or James, right? You serve God. You don't serve men. There's a greater boss, right? That is it. Work is a gift from God. It's commanded by God. God has designed man to work in from the beginning. God has high view of work. As a Christian, therefore, work and doing God-honoring work in whatever workplaces you are is a noble Christian duty. There is no secular job. They're all spiritual duty. There's no difference in this world, there's no dichotomy of secular duty and sacred duty. They're all sacred. You know, this applies for your women, wives, and uh, moms at home. Same thing. Students, you know, at UC Irvine, UCLA, Master Seminary, same thing. In your schoolwork, do it on, you, you study unto the Lord, right? You study unto the Lord. Not to be just gain knowledge. Knowledge is itself is useful, useless at the end. The same thing. So I have three applications to share. Number one, it should cause 
us to examine how we have been worked, and perhaps for some of us. Along with me, I ask you to repent. Again, I'm preaching to myself first. It's easy for me to point out these shortcomings because I've been there. Unfortunately, it's learned a lot of them in my memory bank. Much first-hand experience. So let's repent together. Grumbling, a lot of subtle things, complaining. These are things that creep up in our lives. That we should be as a salesman, as a manager, secretary, or clerk, or carpenter, accountant, lawyer, doctors. We work to serve Him and glorify Him. Secondly, pray for your work and people. Uh, pray for people you work with. I know what you're up against, but our attitude and our perspective should not depend upon others. Let's not depend upon whether how they treat us but it should be consistent as we serve our God. We must make practice of praying for our supervisors, our co-workers, maybe even our customers and vendors you come in contact with. They're all within the realm of Kairos opportunity, opportunity that you may have. Why? Because I've witnessed it myself. You know, people get sick all the time. Recently I had a co-worker, another manager who worked under me. His mother died. And he asked me for a Bible. And I gave him a Bible. I told him to start reading. If you have any questions, come to me. And I shared the gospel with him. Another co-worker, manager of another division, his wife was sick. She was in the hospital for three months. When I first went to pray, I said, can I come to the hospital and pray for you? He said, don't come. I don't need anyone's prayer. But after about three months, he asked me to pray for him and his wife. And thank God she's out of the hospital. She's doing well. And this is the weirdest thing. I had a uh, woman who was who worked under me. She was a member of a coven. Member of a coven is a witch, right? Witch. Her father got sick, and she came and asked me to pray for her and her uh, father. I guarantee you, you make yourself known, live the best of your ability. Opportunities. God will provide opportunities for you to pray for them, to evangelize, to share the gospel. But you need to work on the fertile ground so that you can do that. It happens. Lastly, work diligently to be the testimony of the gospel. God has commanded this. Whether it be in the factory, office, classrooms, hospitals, or in the fields, wherever, that we should stand out unmistakably as ones who would state profession to Christ. That our punctuality, our truthfulness, our quality of work, our devotion to our employer's interest, our loyalty should be apparent to those who work with. That not just our lips say Christ, but our lives say Christ. That we should not be marked by absenteeism, slackness, carelessness, selfishness, or greed. That the majority of our work life may be godly rather than ungodly. That we, it is clearly evident it must be clearly evident that we work with a greater principle than just showing up and collecting a check. You know, someone once said, and it's made a lot of sense to me, that when you hear it, you may forget. 
When you see it, you may remember. But when you do it, you truly understand. And again, this, what is required of us is monumental. It's very difficult. But as we keep doing it, one after another after another, we'll begin to clearly understand or better understand each step of the way. When we work, our work ethic, our work life is a true testimony unto God, then we can truly understand our calling at our workplace. I pray that we would all come to that understanding someday. That all employees should remember the example of the God-honoring servantship of Christ as he laid down, who was a willing and perfect servant, son of God, who laid down his life. I pray that all the employers that we all work for would say, if Christianity caused my employees to act in such a way that, I, that they observe all of us in, we want them to say, I want to know what that is all about. I pray that we would be this type of employee, obedient, works with humility, without grumbling, and prays for our employers and lives the life in the workplace that lives the life that gives the seed of gospel to take fertile soil and to grow and cause unbelievers to come to the saving knowledge of Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thank you for your provision of our work in our lives. We know that you have sovereignly placed each one of us in the areas for your glory. Whatever jobs that we may have, whatever employment that we have, whatever industry that we work in, whatever skills that you have gifted us, we pray that we would do these with a submissive attitude, with excellence, and as a testimony unto you, God. We know that we are weak, but we pray as instructions that are given to the slaves by Paul, that we would take them and strive to honor you with each task, each day, and each project that the testimony of our Jesus Christ would go forward in our jobs. God, we thank you for the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although we are, that we may be persecuted, that we would react in a similar way to pray for that. God, it's a very tremendous, difficult task. But may we be humble before you, God, and seek to pray for our situation and our workers and co-workers and our employers so that Christ may be known in our workplaces. In Jesus' name, amen.